You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tuda Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals. Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. The comedies that shaped us. Oh, $20. I wanted a peanut. $20 can buy many peanuts. Explain how. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. The comedies that moved us. 20 years. That's a long time, Dave. Yeah? Well, it's two decades, isn't it? I wouldn't go that far. The comedies that made us laugh and made us cry. Why am I so sad? Am I doing the wrong thing? Absolutely not. It's just that sometimes goodbyes are a bitch. <laughs> James Halpert. You started with this company as a fine young man. You know what I think we should do? I think we should just say the goodbyes for tomorrow at lunch. Oh. Okay. And then tomorrow, I can tell you <clears throat> what a great boss you turned out to be. These are Desert Island comedies. I'm carving something on this bullet, sir. What are you carving? I'm carving Baldrick, sir. <laughs> Why? It's a cunning plan, actually. Of course it is. You see, you know they say that somewhere there's a bullet with your name on it. <laughs> well, I thought if I owned the bullet with my name on it, I'd never get hit by it. Because <laughs> I won't ever shoot myself. Oh, shame. From the team at thecustardtv.com. So you may remember a few years back we did the Desert Island dramas, the 10 dramas that we would take with us on the Desert Island. Funnily enough, we thought now would be a good time to revisit that and do it with our comedies as well. So joining us for this is writer from the site, thecustardtv.com, and podcaster extraordinaire, Sophie Davis. Hello. Hello. Thanks for calling me an extraordinaire. Haven't had that before. And Matt. <laughs> as well oh, I, I don't get an introduction just Matt to you too <laughs> yeah that'll do we're going to talk about our favourite comedies beginning with Sophie's list she's got 10 comedies that have shaped her her sort of taste 
in the genre and sum her up well and that she could not live without and would have to take to the island. And I asked you to do this because you are somebody who gravitates more towards comedies. I know there are a few dramas that you enjoy, but you will always give a new comedy more time than a new drama. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair. I, I've i loved comedy since I was really young, and I think up until the age of about 18, I watched a lot of TV, but pretty much just comedy for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but nowadays I do watch a lot more drama than I used to, but I do yeah. kind of like to give new comedies a chance, I guess because they're shorter as well. It feels a bit easier to watch the first episode and see how it is, and it's a bit more of a casual watch if you just want to sit down and watch one series of a comedy. It's often just like three hours if it's a British one. I haven't got anything on my list that's pre-90s. Uh, I was born in 1992, and obviously I have seen a lot of older shows as well, but I think I just feel a bit closer to the ones that came out in my lifetime. I guess the experience of watching them as they came out as a sort of gradual yeah. thing. Um, yeah, the ones that I feel like I've got a sort of personal connection with, I guess, rather than just that subjectively a great comedy. I think it's a bit more of an emotional thing, perhaps. And you're still discovering com older comedies, because I saw on Twitter you'd never seen The Comeback before, Lisa Kudrow's no. comedy that you're now obsessed with. I've heard about it a lot over the years. I think I might have heard someone like maybe Reese Shearsmith say that it was one of his favourite comedies ages ago. Yeah, it's currently on Now TV slash Sky Comedy. So I thought I'd give it a go. And I'm towards the end of season one at the moment. And it's, I didn't expect it to be so sad. It's really like <laughs> tragic as well as funny, which is my sort of thing. Exactly. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Looking forward to watching the second one as well. Speaking of tragic and sad, we should say that you've also got an S Club 7 podcast on the go at the moment. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> It's called It's an S-Pod Thing, and I'd like to stress, it's not a fan podcast. It's a, po a kind of comedy podcast about a really baffling TV show. That it, well, S-Club 7 did this series in the late 90s, early 2000s on CBBC. There's 50-something episodes altogether, and basically on each episode, I have a guest on, usually someone who's like a comedian or something, and we just sort of go through the episode that we've watched and talk about how mad it all is. Well, I'm glad to give you a break from that to talk about your favourite shows. So yes. let's, start with the, let's start at the beginning then. What, what did you pick first? So my first choice is something that I grew up watching all the time. It was on Channel 4 pretty much every day after school. And I had some of the DVD box sets as well, which became very sort of worn and frayed at the edges. So I feel like this is a show that really shaped my sense of humour. It's The Simpsons. Don't tell them you were at a bar. <gasps> but what else is open at night? It's a pornography store. I was buying pornography. Until about season nine, because those were the seasons that I mostly watched when I was younger. Mm. And I think that era is the one that people often say is the kind of golden age of the show when it was really at its peak. What, Pop? What are you going to do? Something I should have done a long time ago. You don't know, do you? 
No, mate. I don't really tend to watch past series nine or ten, really. Pretty much every episode in like season four and five are just so good. You don't look at them and think, oh, that was a dud episode. They're just so consistently strong. And I'm not out of order. You're out of order. The whole freaking system is out of order. You want the truth? You want the truth? You can handle the truth! Because when you reach over and put your hand into a pile of goo, that was your best friend's face. You'll know what to do. Forget it, Marge. It's Chinatown. Homer, don't ever tell them personal stuff about me again. Yes, ma'am. I think it's a show you can kind of enjoy at any age as well. And I found that revisiting it in different years, I've kind of got different things out of it. Like I recently watched season four for the first time in a while on Disney+. And for example, there are like three references to a clockwork orange throughout the season which I've never noticed until now because I'm now an adult and it's full of little things like that where you appreciate certain jokes when you're really young and then when you get older you're like oh I never realized that before because I was so young when I was watching it the first time around I even remember learning specific bits of vocabulary from the Simpsons like placebo Why, the only cure is bed rest. Anything I give you would only be a placebo. Where do we get these placebos? I think a lot of people agree that the where it jumps the shark is the uh, the principal Skinner, uh, the two yeah, principal definitely. Skinner episode. Yeah, it just felt weird watching it at the time. How I don't know, a bit. It was a bit out there as an idea for an episode. And Homer just getting progressively. Not stupider, but sort of the worst human being as it went on, because he yeah. was the buffoon with the heart before and the family man, and then as it got past eight, nine, ten, they started making him into more just an idiot who didn't know how things work. I agree about Homer. It feels like it's a bit more of a, a regarded to be a sort of kids' show now and a little bit safe. Mm. And it feels a bit weird saying this now, but when it started, it felt like it was kind of cutting edge comedy. Over time, it's become almost like part of the furniture. And I don't think anyone now would be like, oh, The Simpsons is a bit edgy, isn't it? It's just kind of (laughs) celebrities popping up everywhere. Homer just feels like an idiot. I'm sure there are still good episodes. You know, I haven't been watching it, so I don't know in terms of the recent stuff. But, um, yeah, it just feels different. Because I, I regard it to be a 90s show, if I ever watch a modern episode and, like, Lisa has got a mobile phone, it just feels really wrong to me. Mm. Like, if you were watching yeah. Friends and Joey was suddenly on Tinder or something, it just feels so <laughs> out of place. But, yeah, as I've got older, I've appreciated different episodes more. Like, I think when I was younger, I was always a bit dismissive of Lisa for some reason, even though I was literally Lisa when I was younger. <laughs> Maybe I was in denial. But now that I'm older, I I quite like a lot of the Lisa-centric episodes more now because they're often the more sort of mature episodes dealing with things like um, the Malibu Stacey doll being sexist and that sort of thing. They feel a bit more adult. And I think as well, they've changed the Lisa character. You know, you mentioned Homer. I think now they've got these celebrities in every week. Again, I don't watch it anymore, but I saw a video where they were saying, like, she'll fawn over, say, like, if a Lady Gaga comes into it, you know, Lisa Mm. will be the one who's fawning over her, where as the Lisa of the classic episode, she was very much anti-establishment, wasn't she? Anti-capitalism, anti-sexism, all those things. And she was you know, a good uh, role model for, for young girls in a way like that. Don't you people see anything wrong with what Malibu Stacy says? 
Oh, there's something wrong with what my Stacy says. My spidey sense is tingling. Anybody call for a web slinger? No, Celeste. I mean, the things she says are sexist. <laughs> Lisa said a dirty word. <laughs> they cannot keep making dolls like this. Something has to be done. Lisa, ordinarily I'd say you should stand up for what you believe in, but you've been doing that an awful lot lately. Have you got, like, a favourite or a few favourites, Sophie? You know, episodes that you would go back to? It's a hard one. I always really enjoyed... God, I can't remember the name of it now. I'm not sure why. The one where... Um, uh, friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't remember the name. When they're in court and Homer's on the jury. Mayor Quimby's son has done something. I know you can read my thoughts, Bart. Just a little reminder. If I find out you cut class, your ass is mine. Yes. You heard me. I think words I would never say. I know you can read my thoughts, boy. Did your parents get you into The Simpsons, or did you just, like, it always a cartoon, I'll watch it? I watched it with my dad a lot. I think he might have bought the first DVD kind of for himself and then I ended up watching it a lot more than he did but yeah my dad's got quite a similar sense of humor to me so I think a lot of the shows on my list would potentially be on his list as well if he did one okay, so the Simpsons is a good start where do we go next so my second choice it's an American sitcom that ran for 11 seasons throughout the 90s into the early 2000s Frasier Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face What is a boy to do? I remember there used to be a double bill of Frasier every morning on Channel 4. I think it might still be on in that same time slot now. Yeah, but I remember my mum used to record it for me every morning when I went to school uh, on VHS. And then I would get home from school and watch the new episodes. And then it would just sort of repeat. And so I had this daily routine for ages of just coming home from school and watching two episodes of Frasier on VHS. (laughs) Um, so it feels like it's amazing yeah (laughs) it feels like a very big part of my life and I'm not massively into sort of big American like studio Mm. audience sitcoms the only ones that have ever really sort of clicked for me have been Frasier and I do like Friends as well and although Mm. Friends is a lot of fun I've always kind of preferred Frasier because when I'm watching it I am I'm laughing but a lot of the time I'm also thinking oh my god this is so clever how did they come up with this Mm. i think some of my favorite episodes are the ones where there's been some kind of big misunderstanding or miscommunication and everything just spirals out of control i think a classic example would be the ski lodge episode where they've all gone to stay in this ski lodge and there's all sorts of confusion around who fancies who and they've all got these adjoining rooms and everyone keeps going into the wrong room it could almost be done as a play it's that sort of thing Mm. 
but it isn't just about the chaotic episodes as well it can also be more low-key and you might have some episodes that are just a two-hander between two characters and yeah the relationships between the characters i think are just what really makes it so special you know what i think about pop psychiatry yes i know what you think about everything when was the last time you had an unexpressed thought i'm having one now Americans who are fans of Frasier say that for ages they thought Frasier and his brother were English for some reason because they've got a weird sort of combination accent where it's, it's kind of posh American, which I guess is something we're not really used to hearing a lot. Jeez, I know, Niles, uh, what is the name of that really vicious lawyer that you use? Which one, the one I used to sue the contractor or the one I used to sue the personal trainer? Well, the meanest. Uh, that would be the second one I used him to sue the first one. Ah. <laughs> But yeah, the whole premise is that him and his brother are both psychiatrists and they're kind of pompous and snobby and they're into opera and wine tasting and that sort of thing. And Frasier has to have his dad move into him, who's very different. He's a, a, a retired cop and he's a bit more working class compared to his sons. So that's kind of the joke, really. It's a bit of a class clash sort of thing and then other characters like Daphne is the live-in carer for the dad and she's British with quite an odd accent that's supposed to be Manchester but isn't but you just mm. kind of get over it really. I saw Richard Osman say that he was watching an episode yes. the other day on Twitter saying how how awful just anyone that came into it that was either English or playing British was just terrible at it and you don't realise that perhaps when you're younger, but some of Daphne's brothers and her mother, when they come in, they were just like fingers on the chalkboard for me. Well, How none of them are, so are actually, well, the, none of them were born in England, were they? It uh, it's it's funny because um, Jane Leaves, you know, Jane Leaves is British, but she's from somewhere in the south and she's supposed mm. to be from Manchester in the show. But she's doing a kind of generic sort of northern accent that isn't very mm. specific. And it's so funny because when Niles first meets her, he goes... What a lovely accent. Is that uh, Manchester? No one yeah. would say that from hearing that accent. <laughs> but you, you just kind of accept it, really. But yeah, whenever a brother or like an ex-boyfriend... The worst one is an ex-boyfriend, actually. The actor isn't British at all. But he's doing the worst kind of Dick Van Dyke, Mary Poppins accent. He calls it Daphne at one point, and it's just like, <laughs> luckily it's just for one episode, but annoyingly it's a really good episode, like it's a really funny sort of one of those misunderstanding storylines that I mentioned earlier, but it's got this really odd fake British accent at the centre of it. Oh, by the look of that smile on your face, I'd say somebody got himself a bit last night. <laughs> I find that remark rude, boorish and impossible to deny. But I guess when they were making the show, they weren't really thinking about the British audience. They were making it for Americans and they just didn't really care. What did yeah, you there's a lot of... about him being a psychologist, though? Were you aware of what that was when you were younger and, and sort of that whole radio aspect of things? Not really, but I think they make it quite clear how there's a bit of rivalry between the two brothers because Niles is sort of a proper psychiatrist and Frasier has taken on this radio show and therefore Niles thinks that he's kind of superior. So I think they explain it quite well through that dynamic between the brothers, really. The fact that there's, even among those two, there's a sort of snobbery in play. Thanks for the chat, Niles. You're a, a good brother and a, a credit to the psychiatric profession. You're a good brother, too. <laughs> it does 
lose something slightly after Niles and Daphne have got together. Because that whole storyline of Niles being in love with Daphne was a big part of the show for so long and they had to get together eventually because otherwise it would have become a bit too unbelievable that she was so oblivious. And when they do get together, it's it's a great moment. I, like, I often cry when I watch that episode because it's so moving. But then the show did change a bit afterwards. The later episodes are still fun, but it does feel like they've lost something slightly. And there's a whole run where Daphne's mum is living with them for a bit, which isn't wow. the strongest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, so it doesn't, the... it doesn't take a massive drop, but it's um, mm. not as good later on, I think. It's the dynamics of the relationships, isn't it? Because initially... Frasier and Niles are the main couple, and then obviously when he couples up with Daphne, they obviously have to focus on that as well as as the new relationship. And I think Niles moves away from Frasier a lot more because he's got the scenes with Daphne. Yeah, and I think Daphne becomes less interesting for some reason after she becomes like a uh, girlfriend character rather than kooky Daphne. I think I would say the pilot is one of the best pilots of any sitcom possibly because it sets everything up so well. And yeah, from the very beginning of season one, it's really strong. It might become stronger in season two or three. But yeah, if you're going to watch it for the first time, I would say start with season one. A lot of people say how good Niles and Frasier are, but they don't give John Mahoney much credit. And his performance is really solid and warm. And you can tell there's a lot of love for his sons even though he doesn't feel like he belongs in the same world as them so when he buys was it Fra- he buys Frasier that painting that he thinks well Frasier will really yeah. like and then they're really embarrassed by it some really sweet moments in there as well yeah because I think most of the audience are probably more on his side really and are sort of laughing at how ridiculous the two brothers are and yeah, because there has been some talk, hasn't there, of potentially Frasier coming back. I don't know if it's going to happen, mm. but I think without John Mahoney, it wouldn't really be the same, in my opinion. He grounded those characters, didn't he? he sort yeah. Of, you need a character like that to do that, I think, otherwise they're, they're out of control quite easily. These are the comedies we revisit over and over. Are you wearing a grocery bag? I have misplaced my pants. Sophie's Desert Island Comedies. So this one, it isn't explicitly a sitcom. Uh, in its first Already two series, off the rails. <laughs> in its first two series, it was essentially a sketch show. I think we know it, what this is. It was more <laughs> yes. sitcommy than mo- I'm going to try and justify this. In the first two series, it was a bit more sitcommy than other sketch shows because all of the sketch shows took place in this one location, and the characters did progress from episode to episode, and there were sort of running storylines. And then in the third series, it stopped being a sketch show and became almost a sort of anthology show with each episode focusing on a different character i'm sure you can guess what this is yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) yes so it's the league of gentlemen yes sophie's desert island comedies what's all this shouting we'll have no trouble here (laughs) i caught him stealing from the shop who is he is his identity known? He's not local. <laughs> that situation and that idea of entering a shop and being and, and feeling that you're under suspicion is a very gettable. People have had that and people know that feeling. I think that's what kind of took off in people's minds. I used to be in a war. 
and I put pay to quite a few like you. This is a decent town and a local shop. There's nothing for you here. Tubbs and Edward are complete outsiders to all of the rest of the programme and the characters in it, and yet they do feel like they've become the, the icons of our... You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tuda Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Show really. I remember my parents watched the League of Gentlemen when it was originally on, and I was too young at the time. But mm. for some reason, my dad decided to show me the Papa Lazarou sketch, which he'd recorded. <laughs> Hello, Dave. So I think I got into it via catching some repeats, maybe on Dave or something like that. But then I bought the DVDs and just watched them all the time. I think I was probably about 15, 16 at the time and just sort of was able to just quote whole sketches. I was 15 slash 16 when it was on, so I think I was the ideal market for it. Me and my and my brother, who was possibly a little bit, I mean, he's sort of two and a bit years younger than me, so again, he would have been about 14. So I think we were sort of the ideal audience for this. And, and as you say, you know, quoting it and, and the little, you know, you've got Tubbs and Edward who, who are instantly quotable. Papa Lazarou just doing the hello, Dave. Yes. <laughs> hello, Dave. I'm sorry. Is that Dave? Oh, no, I think you've got the wrong house. Okay, is Dave there? Uh, no, there's no one called Dave here. Okay. Dave. My wife would like to use your toilet. He was actually based on their landlord, wasn't it? Yeah, Peter Papalazzaro. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but that third series has really stuck with me as well because, as you say, they did it as six episodes, but they were all linked to the end when they did the one scene at the end where all six episodes linked together, and they toned down maybe some of the overt comic elements of it, the uh, Tubbs and Edward, little, you know, they were killed off, weren't they, at the beginning of Series 3. But yeah, I, I mean, and, and it did sort of inform their future series, didn't it? You can see the evolution of Steve Pemberton and Rishi Smith's comedy through that third series of, of League of Gentlemen, and then into Psychoville, and then into Inside Number 9. 
I think it has a very different feel from other sketch shows because the guys behind it are, you know, they're northern, they're not Oxbridge or anything like that. And they have this very sort of distinctive dark style. Like they manage to combine comedy and tragedy very well, which I think is something that's going to be a bit of a recurring theme in my list. Um, and I think it's just beautifully written. Like the best sketches really sort of take you on a journey where you're just hanging on every word, like Pauline doing the practice job interview, Jeff's best man speech, the uh, the really bleak monologue of the tour guide in the caves. You're laughing, but you're also thinking, oh, Christ. And yeah, especially series three. I haven't revisited it that recently, to be uh, honest, but series three, I remember being very bleak. I think that's why I haven't rewatched it as much because uh, it just feels a bit you need to be in the right mood to watch series three because it's just so dark. I think you say that, that you know, it was more sketch show in, in one and two, but though those sketches did have, you know, linear story elements, didn't they? And I yeah. think certainly in the in the second series where there was the story about people getting if I'm remembering this right, was it people getting the nosebleeds because they were yeah, eating human uh, yeah. flesh? The, the the butcher was serving them and and it was benjamin wasn't it who was trying to get to the bottom of this conspiracy in the town and they brought roy chubby brown in to play the mayor because he his name is royston Vasey, that's where they got it from originally so even though as you say it was very sketch showing here's this character here's this character here's this character all of their bits were linear you know you had tubbs and edward killing the the workman who'd come into the town because it wouldn't be local anymore so there was elements to a story which then as you say in series three they, they built some more you mentioned uh, little britain earlier it was never really that kind of catchphrasey sketch show like yeah i know people say like hello dave and all that but yeah. that was literally just one sketch it wasn't like a recurring thing throughout each series so i think it's more people remembering certain lines rather than oh there were catchphrases in every episode or anything like that comedies that changed television and made us look differently at the genre okie dokie piggy pokey good morning job seekers God, it stinks in here. Can no one smell it? I want you all to breathe in through your noses and remember that stench. Because that is the smell of idleness. It's the smell of dirty little bum cracks pumping out the gas from a quick save, no frills pasty. Eating cold at four in the morning because time has no meaning for you. That is your smell, job seekers. And I am an aerosol. You can say that again. Uh, I beg your pardon. These are Sophie's Desert Island comedies. So the next one is a long-running Channel 4 sitcom, which I think if we'd done this a few months ago, it might not have been on my list, but I've ended up re-watching all of it during lockdown, and I'd forgotten just how good it is. It's Peep Show. So, have you got kids? Not yet. Why? Oh, no, no reason. I mean, I love kids, not not in a bad way, in a, in a nice way. I mean, I'm I'm not on the child protection register yet, <laughs> which proves I'm not a pedo. This is going horribly. N need a joke? Either that, or I'm an incredibly hard to detect pedo. <laughs> Just move on from the pedo area entirely. I've done exactly the same during lockdown. Uh, for some reason, I I really struggled to watch comedy for the longest time during mm -hmm. this period. I just I, I don't know why, I just haven't been able to, but there's something about Peep Show which is eminently rewatchable and so clever and so funny 
And it, yeah, it's amazing how, considering there are nine series, which is a lot for a modern British sitcom, I think it's very consistent. Um, in my opinion, it's slightly less good in the final two series, but there isn't that much in it, to be honest. I think that's just me being picky. Um, but yeah. yeah, I just think it's so consistent and it doesn't really get the credit that it deserves, I think. It doesn't ever feel dated. It, I watched yeah. it all recently and it still feels a contemporary piece of comedy. Yeah, I think it will always sort of apply to that feeling of you're post-school or university and you're just kind of yeah. doing a job that you're not too sure about. Like, it, I think that will always be relevant, really. And I think on the scale of things, everyone is kind of a bit Mark or a bit Jez, but you land in different places on the spectrum. You, yeah, you hear their voiceover of what they're thinking and often you'll think, oh God, what awful selfish people. But then sometimes they'll say something that you can relate to. And I love as well, something I always really liked about Peep Show was how all the female characters are just as messed up as the men are because obviously they have a lot of different... Yeah, obviously they have a lot of different sort of love interests over these nine series. And obviously you don't get to hear what any of the women are thinking. But in terms of how they are as characters, they're all just terrible people. Apart from maybe Dobby. Dobby's quite nice. But all of the women, yeah, like Sophie starts off feeling quite normal and then just becomes really unstable and weird. And pretty much everyone who Jez goes out with is just a terrible person. Is that because you see is sort of mark's view of of um sophie initially i was wondering that when yeah. i rewatched it is it because we're seeing they those characters through the eyes of mark and jeremy and so when they get bored of them they start to show see them as more irritating people because olivia coleman towards the end just plays a horrible version of sophie <laughs> Yeah, with Sophie, I think that could be the case. But I think with a lot of Jez's girlfriends, I think he's just attracted to these very sort of self-centred but attractive women. And often even, you know, they say things that are just objectively terrible. But he's Mm. just sort of blind to how awful they are because they're so attractive. And then, of course, we haven't even talked about Gerard with his tube up his nose or Superhands. Superhands is just such a classic sort of side character where they don't use him too much and whenever he shows up you're like, yes, Superhands is here. People like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. You can't trust people, Jeremy. There's almost an element of surrealism, isn't there, to to Superhands and to some of Jeremy's bits. I think Mark's side of the story is always very grounded, but I think Jazzy's you know it lapses into surrealism at times doesn't it yeah i think one of my favorite episodes is um sectioning where it sounds like quite a weird plot where they have a friend from uni show up and she's clearly you know mentally unwell and she just gives her pub to jess and superhands who keep coming up with all these different names they want to call it uh like the swan and pedo uh and then they end up getting her sectioned and then there's an argument at the end where they're all threatening to section each other like I will section you so help me God and that's an episode that always sticks in my mind because it's bizarre yeah like you said it's kind of almost surreal element but it's just oh it's brilliant obviously I mean she's not in her right mind she was fine when she gave us the pub well are you sure because I guess giving away a pub that's worth several thousands of pounds for free, that kind of suggests you haven't exactly got your best thinking cap on. Mark, we're not exploiting her. Once we turn the pub into a cash cow, we'll give her some other cream. Yeah, right. Look, 
I just think, in this situation, Mary needs an impartial advisor like me to help her decide what's best. God, you're loving this, aren't you? Holding the deeds like Mr. Monopoly with his top hat and his iron. Do you really think if you don't give us her pop, she's gonna let you screw her? <laughs> oh, God, that is low. That is really nuts. Are you saying I'm mad? Is that what you're saying? Are you going to try and get me sectioned for simply following my dream? Look, I, I just think the best thing is if I hand these to the authorities here and let them decide. Hi there, Doctor. Listen, I just wondered if you could take care of a deputy. He's gone nuts. Get off! You need to section him. He's out of his mind. What? I'm not out of my mind. I just <laughs> need to give you some documents. He's lost it. He thinks there's a pigeon in Catalonia that's in control of his legs. I really don't. Jeremy, tell him. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, mostly he's okay, but maybe, maybe you should keep him in for observation just for a couple of days. Jeremy! You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tuda Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Look, if there's anyone who's going nuts here, it's not me, it's you! That They could section you for trying to section me! If you try to section me, Mark, you'll have crossed the line and I will section you, so help Look, me! Look, guys, you've had your fun with the sectioning. There's going to be no more sectioning today. One of my favourite ones is um, when uh, Mark falls in love with the student at the, at the shoe shop and then mm -hmm. joins the the course she's on and he gets quite into it because he's more intelligent than obviously the young students and he gets a rapport with the with the tutor played by Peter Capaldi. I would say like the first three series are really strong and but I do think it is <laughs> one of those where it's the law of diminishing returns to an extent after that. I do really love yeah, the uh, wedding episode though. Trying yeah. to avoid marrying her right until the last minute where they're hiding in the church. Oh my god, there she is. She looks so beautiful. I need to sort this. I mean, what am I going to do? What's going to happen here? Because personally, I have no idea. Do you know what? I think I might actually toss a coin. I think tossing a coin might be the best available route open to me right now. Heads, I marry. Lifetime of potential grinding resentment. Tails, I stay here, become a social outcast and turn my back on the woman I may very well love. I'm excited. I'm kind of excited too. Ah, oh, it's marry. I'm gonna marry shit. Best of three? Yes, exactly. Best of three. Ah, oh, heads again. Shit. 
Peter is a great show, and I'm, I'm, it was one of my lockdown saviors. That and that and ER, bizarrely. So I was living <laughs> in Channel Four in 2004. Okay, carry on. Uh, so my next choice is a dark comedy from the early days of BBC Three, created by someone who it's, has been a big little influence Britain, on is me. It? <laughs> 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 little Britain, <get> <laughs> Imagine if I if I did have Little Britain on this list. Imagine. Well, there's still a couple to go, so I'm not ruling it out until we get to the end. So this is a show created by someone who I could have included several of their shows on this list, but I didn't want to be repetitive. So I've just gone for the one. And it's Julia Davis's Nighty Night. I'm sorry. I'm afraid it's not good news. The lump we removed is malignant. We will need to start treatment immediately. Jill... It's all right. We'll get through this. I just feel so... I know. I mean, why? Why me? Jill, let's keep it in perspective. It's me that's got the cancer. I think I came to it via the Mighty Boosh. And the, oh, actually, and the League of Gentlemen, because there was a Mark Gatiss link in there, because Mark Gatiss mm. is in Mighty Night, and Julia Davis has a bit of a Mighty Boosh link because she is married to one of the Mighty Boosh. Um, so I came to it via these other shows. I think weirdly, I didn't latch onto it immediately. I think it was a bit adult for me when I first watched it because it's very dark, and I revisited it then, you know, years later. And just was like, okay, why didn't I enjoy this as much the first time? It's just so unique. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's about a hairdresser called Jill Tyrrell who finds out that her husband has cancer. And basically, as soon as she learns about the diagnosis, she sets out to find herself a new man. Right, Jill. Age bracket for the sort of man you're hoping to meet? Um, 18 up, please. And premium limit at the top end, please. 71. 71, okay. Now you're quite a tall lady, Jill. Thank you. What do you say the lowest male height's gonna be? About five? Six foot. Six foot. Six foot lowest. And premium limit at the top end, please, Jill, if you don't mind. Well, I mean, I take my name, I could find work in a circus. Okay. And she takes particular liking to a new neighbour called Dawn and the fact that Dawn already has a wife doesn't really faze her so it's just so dark endlessly quotable Jill Tyrrell is such a unique memorable character I mean a few episodes in her husband gets the all clear but Jill tells him that it's the opposite and puts him in a hospice I just mean to say Dr Wiggle tell me now I don't want you to take this the wrong way okay but he says it's grown. It's biggened, Terry. What, the tumour? I'm so sorry. Well, I was feeling better. I know, Terry. It's the same with the suicidals. They often feel smashing just before they go. Well, they said I could go home. When you first came in, all right, Dr Wivell said the tumour was the size of a grapefruit. 
No, 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 it was a big orange. I think Dr. Wivell did say grapefruit. No, he said it was a big orange. He said grapefruit. Now, the first came out, Terry, brought it down to a plum. A plum, yes, okay. and I thought... When I saw Dr. Wivell just now, he said it's approaching a pineapple. Pineapple! I'm so sorry, Terry. But I think it's been growing in you for years, probably since before you were born. It's it's iconic, like so many quotable lines. It's built up a real cult following over the years that seems to consist largely of women and gay men for some reason. Um, like the, the Vauxhall Tavern in London holds these nighty-night themed club nights where men kind of dress up in drag as Jill Tyrrell because she's just become this sort of iconic character for some reason. It's just, it's wild. I don't even think you could make it now. I think in the age of Twitter, I think people would be too too vocal about what they didn't like about yeah. it. And EC culture a little bit that. more. Yeah, and uh, Ruth Jones is very good in it. Mm. Angus Deaton, who I never remember is in it until I watch it again. I'm like, oh yeah, Angus Deaton was a big part of it. Linda, you know my feelings about asthma. Take a deep breath and get over it. I'm going to put your bones in. Sorry. Joy, just to say, can you not breathe too close to the clients just while your dentures are settling in? We're not all fish lovers. Has she done anything superior to this, or is this still the best of what Julia Davis can do? It's hard, really, because I think... I think she's someone who's very underrated because, you know, at the end of the day, she's been creating TV shows pretty consistently for 20 years now because we had Human Remains and then Nighty Night and then she's been on Sky ever since doing Hunderby Camping and Sally Forever. And it's a weird one because she's not a household name, but even though she's done all this stuff, most people I know know her as Dawn from Gavin and Stacey, yeah. uh, which really upsets me. <laughs> um, and she's got a cameo in Love Actually, hasn't she? I just noticed I, yeah. I, I put Love Actually on the TV the, the other day, and it's like, what's Julia Davis doing in Love Actually? <laughs> yeah, and I even know people who are massive fans of 99 and can sort of quote it off by heart, but they aren't really aware of anything she's done since because it's all been on Sky. Because people like us, you know, we like to keep up with what's new, what's coming up on TV. And a lot of people aren't really like that. They'll watch something if I it's kind of... I to believe that. Everybody yeah. like me. <laughs> but because, yeah, I run this Twitter account, uh, Julia Davis Quotes, and I, I try to cover the range of shows. Whenever I tweet a Nighty Night quote, it always gets way more traction than any other show. And I don't think that's reflective of the quality. I think it's just because it was on BBC Three at a time before Netflix and YouTube and stuff, everyone just watched it. And then in the time since, I mean, Sally Forever won the BAFTA for Best Comedy last year. And on Twitter at the time, everyone was like, I've never heard of it. Because sometimes I think that I associate Julia Davis with really clever comedy, but sometimes shock value as well, and and sometimes unnecessary shock value. Yeah, in my opinion, Nighty Night Series 1 is really superior to Series 2. 
Um, I she seems series to series two again. Yeah, I, it, I think that does apply to what you said. Yeah. Series two is very, it's a lot more gross out humour. And she had a similar thing with Hunderby, where I really loved series one of Hunderby. And then she did a, not really a series two, but it was um, two specials to kind of finish it mm. off. And those two specials were a lot grosser than the original series. So it seems to be a thing she does when she does a sort of follow-up. She tends to go yeah. a bit far. I think camping is potentially my favourite thing she's done post uh, Nighty Night. Um, maybe camping closely followed by Hunderby. Um, and I did really enjoy Sally Forever. But yeah, like you said, a few aspects of it felt a bit much. And she's gone a bit more towards a sort of improv style in recent years. Um, and yeah, Sally Forever feels a bit like those sort of American films where you're watching a scene and sometimes it goes on for a bit longer than you think is necessary because they're improvising. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I know what you mean. But yeah, series one is a bit more sort of, it feels weird saying low key about Nighty Night. But it's kind of a, you know, they're in the cul-de-sac, they're in the hairdressers. Series two is more, I think, I can't remember where it was filmed now, like Cornwall or something like that. So they're on the beach and it's a bit sort of crazier. Still a lot of very good lines and very funny scenes. But yeah, definitely a bit more outrageous in series two. Again, I remember watching it when it was on BBC Three, and I, I remember liking that series. Not a lot has stuck with me. There's that scene where she dances at Angus Deaton. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember. Yeah. Um, about, <laughs> it just goes on for about... It's, it's to a Marillion song, isn't it? And it just goes on for yeah. about three minutes. She will stay on the scene longer than most to sort of... Yeah. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Drift out the, the humor from it, which is, is good. Now, as you say, um, it's got a good ensemble cast. I thought um, Kevin Eldon is really good mm -hmm. as, as a... And, um, Rebecca Front, yeah, and I just remember because you know, being a big Rebecca Front fan, um, I, I, I thought she because she sort of plays the straight character, doesn't she, in a way? In she's it, she's really good at it in this, yeah, she she's a real the, kind of doormat, so vulnerable, doesn't it? As well. Yeah, she feels so vulnerable, and like you could blow her over. It just she's such a, a cleverly written character and just portrayed perfectly by Rebecca Front. I think yeah. she does a perfect and job. These are Sophie's Desert Island comedies. So, uh, it's the American version of The Office. Your branch have been doing great lately and your sales staff is reporting very strong numbers. Outperforming last year, in fact. Look, you're not our most traditional guy, but clearly something you are doing 
is right, and I just, I need to get a sense of what that is. David, here it is. My philosophy is basically this, and this is something that I live by, and I always have, and I always will. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone, for any reason, ever, no matter what, no matter where, or who, or who you are with, or, or where you are going, or, or where you've been, ever, for any reason whatsoever. Sometimes I'll start a sentence, and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way, like an improv conversation, an improvisation. I I saw the UK one first, um, not when it originally aired, I think I was a bit young, but I did watch it first and then I think my other half introduced me to the American one because he was a big fan of it with some of his friends in high school and he introduced me to it. I know some people who've tried to watch it and been put off by the first episode mm. or the first, the first season really because it feels yeah. very much like they're trying to redo the British one, but post season one it really becomes its own thing, doesn't it? And Michael yeah. Scott becomes a lot more than just a sort of American David Brent. How long have you known Ms. Levinson? Six years and two months. And you were directly under her the entire time? That's what she said. Excuse me? That's what she said. Ms. Levinson told you that she was your direct superior? What? Why would she say that? Can we just move on to another question? No, wait, I don't, I don't understand who's on record as uh, saying this. With all due respect, I'm in the middle of the line of questioning. Now, Mr. Scott, what did you say Ms. Levinson said regarding your employment status with respect to her corporate position? Come again? That's what she said? Okay. I don't know what you're talking if about. If I may, he, he was just telling a joke before, so can we move on to another oh, question? Are you sure? Uh, yes. Can you go back to where this digression began? Mr. Schneider, and you were directly under her the entire time. Mr. Scott, that's what she said. Delivery is all wrong. I'm butchering it. Steve Carell's performance is brilliant and obviously the way the character's been written as well. Sometimes he's just so frustrating and you want to just like throttle him but then at other times he can be really kind of sweet and adorable and it just somehow works. It somehow has that balance where that character could really make or break the show and it just turned out so good. And what I think the writers picked up on starting from that second series onwards is the fact that he couldn't be like David Brent because America doesn't celebrate somebody like David Brent like the British do. They need someone to be upbeat and smiley and happy and so they turned him into, instead of someone who was performing for the cameras, they turned him into someone who just needed to be liked, needed a family and actually they turned everyone working for him into somebody that sort of appreciated what he was trying to do rather than mocking him a lot of the time. And that's how it worked. And I think if you come at it from that angle, uh, then it is, I would say it's more of a traditional sitcom than the original Office was, although they've got the, the talking heads to the camera. There are mm. some more comedic moments and they don't really reference the camera crew being there that often apart from the final season. But... If you separate it from the UK office, it is an astounding piece of work. And to say that they got nine seasons out of it and Steve Carell was there for seven of them, it's, it's really special. I mean, 
it is really kind of feel good viewing isn't it it's a very easy binge watch it sounds like a bit of an insult to say oh it's something you can have on in the background but it is it does have that kind of feel about it where it's almost comforting um i think it it went downhill a bit in season six and particularly in season seven when steve carell left um but i think seasons two to five are just so solid like I was looking through the list of episodes before and in two to five, I don't think there's a single like dud episode in there. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's quite extraordinary. And even though the fact that it goes off the boil a bit later does kind of sour it slightly, just looking at two to five, it's just such an incredible run of episodes. And they have Greg Daniels there who was important in those early era of the simpsons that you talked about mike mm-hmm. sure who went on, who's gone on and done some incredible things and in some of my favorite recent comedies and it's just a really strong team if it had ended with steve Carell getting on the plane at the end of seven it would mm. would have been the perfect sitcom really but unfortunately oh. it was such a juggernaut by then that uh, they had to get another two seasons out of it but it's yeah for for me, I mean, I I loved, as you say, the sort of... For me, I think it peaked at Pam and Jim's wedding. I think even some of the latter Carell episodes, you know, they, yeah. they were struggling there when... I think it's when they get bought out by um, Sabre, for me, and there's that weird storyline with the printers. But I think they did bring it back in that final season. I thought that had elements of what made The Office great to begin with you know they focused on the struggles that Pam and Jim were having as a married couple when he st- you know he started this new business and and, and I think it, it made you remember what you liked about it to begin with but it definitely did have have that dip and as you say the first season is almost a carbon copy of of the UK version uh, uh, in its peak was a really funny and I, I think you know you've mentioned already the the ensemble cast it's got such a great ensemble you you know every one of those characters don't you you know, you well, know they, that's they what the 24 episodes versus six a year gives you is you've mm. got to spread out with those yeah. characters on the side you've got to give them something to do as well and uh, Angela I, I, and Oscar yeah. and Kevin and all those people were Stanley, well. Phyllis, Creed. That's a great episode. Did I stutter with Stanley? Yeah. That's a great yeah. <laughs> but that's actually, it, you get... Unlike David Brent, I think Michael Scott is occasionally, does show himself to be a good boss and a good leader yeah. of people. And I think but they did that better than the UK. It's was. his sort of perception of himself is he's the perception that everyone in the office has got. And I recently watched some of the, uh, the roast episode. Yes. Um, where the oh, roast yeah. Michael Scott and then at the end when he comes <laughs> in it just does the boom roasted I spent the afternoon in the park trying to feed the pigeons I guess they all flew west for the winter I just had some thoughts that I wanted to share with you people what? well I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget <clears throat> Dwight you're a kiss ass boom roasted Pam you failed art school boom roasted Meredith You've slept with so many guys, you're starting to look like one. Boom, roasted. Kevin, I can't decide between a fat joke and a dumb joke. Boom, roasted. Creed, your teeth called, your breath stinks. Boom, roasted. Stanley, you crush your wife during sex and your heart sucks. Boom, roasted. Oscar, you are 
<laughs> Oscar, <laughs> you're gay. Wow. Boom roasted. Boom roasted. <laughs> All right, everybody. You know I kid. You know I kid. You guys are the reason that I went into the paper business. So, uh, good night. God bless. God bless America. And get home safe. They say that laughter is the best medicine, so Stanley, you can throw away those pills. You are cured. I think the difference between UK and US comedy is a lot of the UK comedies, um, you've got these characters who are very flawed, who aren't particularly likable, but, you know, the British sense of humour allows you to laugh at these characters, Mm. whereas in American comedy, and that's why I think they've struggled to adapt a lot of our comedies, because of those you know of those characters and i think vice versa as well there's not a lot of u.s comedies that have been translated well in the uk it's just different sense of humors isn't it really the most streamed thing on netflix in the u.s clocking up an incredible 45.8 billion minutes watched compared to any other netflix original um the only thing that comes close is stranger things which had 27.6 billion minutes spent on it but The Office is leaving Netflix in the US next year. But, that, but, but it was not, more so than Friends. But more, more so than Friends, yeah, The Office speeds it. Um, what are your favourite episodes? I mean, I always talk about the dinner party and the Dundies, mm. and I love the whole era where you forget Idris Elba's in it and then he appears. Brett <laughs> Level Midnight. I'm going to now get gather my DVDs together because there's so many good things you've picked so far. What? How are you going to top it? What comes next? So I guess it kind of naturally follows on, really, the next one, because it's a show that was created by Mike Schur. Uh, It's Parks and Recreation. I would like to be president someday, so no, I've not smoked marijuana. I ate a brownie once at a party in college. It was intense. It's kind of indescribable, actually. I felt like I was floating. Turns out there wasn't any pot in the brownie. It was just an insanely good brownie. When it first started, people were quite quick to compare it to The Office because obviously it was created by an office writer and it was a similar sort of mockumentary workplace comedy. And yeah, similar to The Office as well, the first season of six episodes is quite easily skippable and the characters change a lot after that first season. But I think ultimately, like season two onwards, it does have a very different feel from The Office because I think it's more about the ensemble rather than a focus on the sort of central boss character which is Leslie Nope she is kind of pitched as the main character but very quickly it becomes more about the entire office um and I think the characters are more lovable as well like I'm not sure if I would want to be friends with anyone in the office but in Parks and Rec I think I could quite happily just hang out with those people um, I think it's also a lot more consistent than The Office. There's seven seasons altogether. And in my opinion, it didn't really go downhill at any no, point. I would agree. i tell you what it is about Marks and Rec, and it is, spoiler, it's on my list. It's the warmest, sentimental show, but it never dips into being sappy or sweet or mm-hmm. over the top. You know, it's never like Clinton Card Sweet. It's just got a real warmth to it. And that town is the closest thing you're ever going to get to a live-action Springfield. There are so many yeah. people in that town that they could do 
other shows on. It is just, it's brilliantly done, and I love it so much, and I love those characters so much because mm-hmm. it's one of one of the best shows in recent years, I would say, and it doesn't get enough credit over here, I don't think, because it's on Sky Comedy and it's on Amazon to watch, but it never really had a, a firm UK home, and I think the people that did discover it have found out that it's one of the best things on television, but like Matt, who is probably in the majority, just wasn't able to stick with it because it wasn't readily available. I really love the way it's sat in this fictional town. Yeah, a bit like Springfield, really, because you get to know all the inhabitants. You get to know all the local businesses, like there's Sweetums and the Snake Hole Lounge and JJ's Diner and all these brilliant side characters who show up sort of rarely and you're always pleased to see them, like John Ralphio, Perd Hapley. There are just so many. I feel like there's a lot of Parks and Rec sort of memes going around yeah. because it's very quotable in that way, and all of these different characters. Yeah, I think if anyone is planning on watching it from scratch, you could potentially skip season one, and you wouldn't really miss out on much. I tend to always tell people to skip season one. Season two... It sort of finds its feet, and then by the end, when Rob Lowe and uh, Adam Scott join mm-hmm. the cast, then it knows what it is, it knows what its strengths are, and from then on, it is just brilliant. And you talk about that cast you got in season Sari and Aubrey Plaza and Chris Pratt and all Nick these Offerman. people that have gone on to amazing things, and they were just part of this little ensemble. I mean, Ron Swanson could have been the leader of his own sitcom in... in so many other ways but he's just part of this great ensemble team and it just works so brilliantly capitalism is the only way leslie it moves our country forward it's what makes america great and england okay and france terrible and i think mike sure just knew exactly what to do to play to all of those actors strengths yeah mike sure he's done brooklyn 99 and the good place and he seems to really excel with these shows that just feel so warm and also feel really sort of tightly written, like there are just pretty much constant jokes and really good character-based jokes as well. Yeah, and and he just knows what to what to do with these characters, and more importantly, what the actors are best at as well. And you just see a great character progression from the person Leslie Nope was at the start of series two to the person she becomes at the end, where she's everyone's role model. Mentioning Mike Schur, I think with Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place, I love both of those shows, but for me, the one kind of slight weak point in both of those is the central couple. So Jake and Amy in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Eleanor and Cheedy in The Good Place. I was never fully on board with them, whereas in Parks and Rec, I was always really invested in Ben and Leslie as a couple, and I think that really helps the sort of whole feeling of the show in general. And when they get together also, it doesn't ruin anything. It just carries yeah, on being brilliant Niles after they've Daphne, got together. They? They just, they just, yeah. And also what I liked about it, they have weddings and they have babies and things, but they're never done as the centrepiece. It's always just something that happens and they move on from it. They never sort of do that big thing where they get married and things go wrong and it's a panic and, oh, we got married at the end and then we're pregnant. How are we going to deal with that? It's everything just moves at such a pace and it's so cleverly done. There's so many good guest stars in there. I would urge anyone that's heard us go on about it and say, go to Amazon or go to Now TV, start from series two, 
and you'll become immersed in the world of Pawnee. These are the comedies we revisit over and over. I'm not sick, I just have allergies, okay? I took a Claritin and I threw that up. So I took another one, I threw that up, and then I took a third and it stayed down. I'm getting better. All right, you're burning up. You're burning up, what? I have to get out of here. I have 2.8% body fat. My body's like a microchip. A grain of sand could destroy it. My body's a microchip. Leslie, go home. No, I can't. I can't go home. I have to get ready for the Chamber of Secrets. Commerce. If this meeting does not go perfectly, then the Harvest Festival is going to be over before it began. I cannot go home. Come on. Oh, God. Now I'm hot. Now it's really hot okay, here. Okay, well, that's your fever. Leslie, I, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Sophie's Desert Island Comedies. So I've got something that I'm pretty confident won't be on either of your lists. It's an animated Netflix show that kind of snuck up on me a bit, really. When I watched the first season, I thought it was interesting, but overall a bit sort of meh. But then season two onwards, I've absolutely loved it. And I've ended up watching it, like re-watching it more than I think any other show in the last few years. Bojack Horseman. You're a millionaire movie star with a girlfriend who loves you acting in your dream movie. What more do you want? What else could the universe possibly owe you? I want to feel good about myself the way you do. And I don't know how. It's a difficult one to explain to people who haven't seen it. So for anyone that is listening and they haven't even heard of it before, it's an animated dark comedy set in Hollywood in a version of the world where humans live alongside these kind of human-like animals. So the titular Bojack Horseman is a horse voiced by Will Arnett. Um, and the idea is that Bojack used to be the lead in a sort of cheesy sitcom called Horsing Around, uh, which was about like a horse adopting some children. Uh, but since the show ended, he hasn't really worked that much and he's got a lot of money, but he's got all these sorts of issues around depression and alcohol and drugs. And in each season, we basically follow him through a different stage of his sort of comeback career. So in season one, he's got a writer following him around, writing a book about him. In season two, the uh, book has been a big hit, so he's been cast in a film. Then in season three, the film has been a success, so he's doing an awards campaign and so on. It's a bit of a sort of TV critic cliche to be a bit like, oh, Bojack Horseman, it's ironic that a show about animals is really about what it means to be human. But that is kind of what it is. It deals with all these different issues like mental health, addiction, death. They did an episode that was basically about Me Too before Me Too had even happened. Because it does a really good job of satirising Hollywood and the entertainment industry with lots of really stupid jokes about animals thrown in. It is very funny as well. You know, it's very dark, but it's also very funny. One of my favourite episodes is called um, Let's Find Out where Bojack is a contestant on this new game show, which is called uh, Hollywood Stars and Celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. 
and he's competing against Daniel Radcliffe, who is playing himself. And Daniel is getting really easy questions, and Bojack is getting really hard questions. Hey, Daniel, good to see you. Always nice to meet a fan. No, I'm sorry, I'm not a, uh, I'm an actor. Oh, good for you. It's a dreadful business, but hang in there. No, I already did hang in there. I'm Bojack Horseman. We've actually met before at Chris Martin's holiday party. Mm. We stepped outside for a smoke. To get away from Chris Martin? Huh. You opened up about your fear of success. I gave you some advice. You said I was a true friend and you would never forget me. And you said your name was Chadwick Boseman? Bojack Horseman. Oh, I'm sorry. When you're as famous as I am, you meet so many people. Um, sorry. We need you guys back on set. Hey, you were the second hairdresser's assistant on The Ellen Show about five years ago. Veronica, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. How was your mother's party in the end? <sighs> there were really kind of silly, fun episodes like that. And then there are also episodes that really kind of get you emotionally. And there's an episode, for example, called Time's Arrow, where basically Bojack's mum has dementia. And it's a whole flashback episode about her childhood. And it makes me cry really hard. Is, and it's so ridiculous. It's a beautiful piece of television, that is. It's incredible. And it's an animated show about a horse. And it's just so emotional. Who is that? Ugh. Bye, Mom. Bojack? Mom? But Bojack? Is that you? Yeah, it's me. Well, uh, what is this place? This is where you live now. No. Is it? No. Mom. Where are we, Bojack? I just told you. I don't understand. Where, where am I? You're... in Michigan. Michigan? Yeah. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At the lake house. I am? And it, it's, a, it's a warm summer night in... The fireflies are dancing in the sky, and your whole family is here, and they're telling you that everything is going to be all right. Yes, that's right. What else? The crickets are, are chirping, and the lake is still, and the night is full of stars. I can see it. It's so clear. W what are we doing here, Bojack? We're sitting on the back porch, and we're listening to your brother play the piano. And we're eating ice cream. Vanilla ice cream. Yes, that's right. Oh, it's all so marvelous. Can you taste the ice cream, Mom? Oh, Bojack. It's so... delicious. It, even though it's a weird show to begin with, it also does even more experimental things. Like, there's a whole episode, Underwater, where Bojack is attending this kind of... um 
underwater film festival so it's completely silent because he's underwater and can't speak and there's also a whole episode which is basically him delivering a eulogy at someone's funeral for 20 minutes i don't know just so unique and innovative i've i've read really long essays about how it's helped people overcome their mental health issues and how it's resonated so much with people and on the face of it it's an animated show about a horse and you just think how could this be true but people don't just like this show they love it yeah definitely and i think one animated show that's got this really big following recently is rick and morty and i do like rick and morty but i think bojack deserves that attention because in my opinion it's a lot better I might get a lot of Rick and Morty fans giving me hate now, but um, just as a general sort of rounded show, it takes a while to get into it because it is such a weird concept. But once you're in, you get really hooked on the characters and even certain side characters who might seem a bit one dimensional to begin with, get developed more later on and get whole episodes devoted to them. And yeah, it's just, oh, I love it. Bojack Horseman, all available on Netflix. Um, so I'm starting to think we're not going to get Little Britain, but you may have discovered it recently, so perhaps mm. it's coming. I don't know. <laughs> right, so we've got two left. Um, this is something that I am 100% confident will not be on either of your lists. Oh. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She's the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. What? No, I'm not. She's the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That's a sexist term. She's the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Can you guys stop singing for just a second? She's so broken inside. The situation's a lot more nuanced than that. C-R-A-Z-Y. Okay, we get it. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. This is a show that I feel was specifically made for me because I, I love comedies I love shows that have sort of complex female protagonists and I love musical theatre. And this show basically combines all of those things. So it aired on the CW network in America and it's on Netflix in the UK. And basically the setup is that Rebecca Bunch is a lawyer in New York who's doing very well in her career, but she isn't very happy And after she bumps into an old boyfriend and he's very nice to her while she's having a bit of a meltdown, she basically decides to drop everything and move to California where he lives in order to essentially stalk him because she thinks that being with him is going to sort of make her happy and fix all of her problems. Um, And the show really dismantles a lot of those typical rom-com ideas and sort of like Bojack Horseman really mental health is a big theme so for example in the third season it really focuses on Rebecca getting diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and sort of dealing with that so it starts off with one particular premise which sounds a bit sort of like a quirky rom-com and then quite quickly it develops and becomes a lot deeper and darker than that and yeah also it's a musical comedy which is very unique so in every episode there's at least one or two funny songs 
I think in the end, they there were over like a hundred songs over the course of the whole show, mostly written by uh, Rachel Bloom and Adam Schlesinger, who really sadly passed away a few months ago due to coronavirus, which is awful. They wrote most of the songs for the show, and they cover all these different musical styles, like everything from pop and rap to like country musical theatre sort of stuff. And the context is that all of these musical numbers are taking place inside Rebecca's head because is how she kind of copes with things. Think of all the time and energy you've spent in your life on romantic relationships. I have clocked a lot of hours. Okay, you can take that passion, that intensity, and focus and redirect it into more productive endeavors. Huh. God, I've never thought of that before. I could have used that time to cure leukemia. I could have used that time to clean the seas. I could have taught some teens awareness of bulimia. I could have saved the pandas, whales, and bees. Without love, you can save the world. Put those hours to good use instead. Without love, you can save the world. And love, but not love. <laughs> <laughs> Love's a real time suck. It really gets your mind stuck on things that later on you'll be like, why? Like when's he gonna text? Or when will I see him next? Then suddenly the lakes have all gone dry and it's all your fault. Without love, you can save the world, save the world. Clear space in your brain for It's just, it's a really interesting, unique show. I don't think there's ever really been anything like it before. And there probably won't be anything like it again. I, I know a few weeks ago, I think you guys mentioned it on the podcast in relation to, uh, is it called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that show doesn't have any original songs in it. You know, it's like it's Glee really or something. It's a bizarre show. That, yeah. yeah, whereas Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, over 100 songs written from scratch, they're hilarious. I listen to the albums all the time. Rachel Bloom actually came to the UK last year and did two nights at the London Palladium performing various songs from the show. Everyone was singing along. People were crying. It was mad. And similar to Bojack Horseman, I guess, it's one of those shows where people who get into it get really into it. And it just feels yeah. like a sort of personal thing, perhaps because it's so niche as well. A lot of people have just never even heard of it. 
they're lucky that the CW didn't cancel it because it had like no viewers. But when they first pitched it, they pitched it as a four season story. And for some bizarre reason, the network just allowed them to do that, even though no one was watching it. They had a plan from the start and they got to complete it. They even have a different theme tune for each season that reflects what the sort of arc of the season is. That's what links, um, <laughs> that's what links it with The Wire. Yeah, my favorite thing is The Wire. I banged you here, I nailed you there, and on this couch, and in this chair. In the doorway, the hallway, on every stair We tap that ass all over this house Sometimes him, sometimes me Though never simultaneously But one of us was hitting it usually We tap that ass all over this house You'll never escape us Cause we live in your head Just two swell dudes that just screwed here and here and there and here and even occasionally in your bed that bed is really uncomfortable right it's like a prison cot on the stove over the sink and sort of in the fridge one time i think and then we hit the back patio that's where we hit your back patio we tap that ass all over this house so why don't we quickly run through the ones that just didn't quite make the final cut because basically up until a few hours ago i had a list of 11 and i had to make a, a harsh decision and cull one of them and it was detectorists thinking about the whole, whole kind of personal connection thing yeah. it's you know objectively a brilliant show i love it yeah. so much but i don't really feel like sort of i don't regard it as highly as the others just on a sort of personal level but yeah, like I said, it was a really hard decision that I made about an hour ago. That's fair. Yeah, I've also got uh, Arrested Development, 30 mm -hmm. Rock, This mm -hmm. Country, mm -hmm. uh, The Thick of It, which I'm currently re-watching. <clears throat> and yeah. I had um, Staff Let's Flats on there as well as a really recent one. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that is, is still ongoing. I'm hoping there's going to be more. And I didn't really want to include any sort of ongoing shows because you can't sort of fully judge it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's fair as well. It might fall off a cliff at the final series, you never know. So, <laughs> I think it's fair to say, as good as your list has been, I think we know what the last one is. I think it's got David <laughs> Williams. It's something that I have a feeling is going to be on at least one of your lists as well. Yeah. It's uh. mob. <laughs> oh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful show. And it is on mine. No, and it's on mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be one that's going to cross over all three. It's a thing of beauty, Mum. But why, what was it about it for you specifically? Because we'll talk about what it means to us when we discuss it so what about for you i think it yeah it's just a masterpiece really and the final series in particular um if there's anyone listening who isn't that familiar with it i mean they should be if they listen to this podcast but um in <laughs> in in the final series it takes place entirely across one week because all of the family have gone away together in this sort of i don't know i guess airbnb house sort of thing and so it really ramps up the tension, you know, all the relationships between the characters. 
it's just it's incredible and i'm not really like this usually but when i was watching the final series i literally like shouted at the screen at a few points because i was so emotionally involved like shouting like shut up at jason a lot of the time uh and then like i won't no spoilers but in the final episode kathy says something to pauline and i like gasped out loud i i just think Stefan Jol- yeah, Stefan Golachevsky is just a genius. Like I love him and her as well. Uh, but I watched that after Mum. Right. Uh, and I can't wait to see what he does next because he's just mm. so got such a unique style for writing these characters that aren't necessarily like him in real life. It's interesting because I think one of the things that I can't speak for Matt, but knowing what's on my list and, and listening to you talk. A lot of the shows we've both picked are comedies that make us laugh, but also make us cry. And I bawled my eyes out at certain points, particularly that third series. There's a long sequence with Jason having a heart-to-heart with his mum about how he Mm. was supposed to step in for his dad with his dad passing and Mm -hmm. how he's supposed to protect her. And it's the first time you see what was played as quite a ditzy character just show their vulnerable side and it just absolutely broke uh, me and oh god it's yeah the characters are so funny. complex aren't they because up until that point in the final series i absolutely hated jason yeah, and then yeah too. that scene happens and you you kind of see him in a different light and similarly with um oh god i love Derek so much because yeah. like in series one and two he starts off being quite sort of cocky, like he's a sort of cocky character. And then in series three, you can tell that Pauline has just sort of worn him down over their time together. And he's become so insecure. Like it really tickled me the whole, um, he becomes really obsessed with the idea that he's got massive arms and legs in the final (laughs) series because he just is so doubting everything about himself. And Pauline's another brilliant character. I think he's just very childlike isn't he Derek I think he's of the of the characters he's got the least agenda I think he's just I think throughout the series he comes across as very childlike very immature I think in the final series in particular I felt really sorry for him but then for example there's a scene where he's really making really sort of horrible sexist remarks about a waitress and but is that is how people are in real life you know people are complicated you might have relatives who you love and then they say awful sexist things and it just feels real you know i think that's almost like you know the men trying to act masculine when none of them really are the male characters in mum are all very insecure in a way aren't they yeah in one way or another that scene for me i played it as none of them really felt that way but they were all doing it because the other people were they doing should. it, if that makes sense. Because yeah. they felt like they should, because that's what men do. Yeah, and although I, I mentioned him and her before, one thing about him and her is that I never really warmed to um, what are they called, Steve and Becky as the central couple. Mm. Whereas in Mum, I do genuinely love Kathy and Michael. You feel like you're kind of in with them because they're sort of rolling their eyes at the other characters and yeah, Michael is just so lovely. I'd love to be friends with him. I saw the actor in a film the other day. I think it was Children of Men, and he was playing a, a horrible character, and I was like, no. Yeah. This was a, a, a very much a departure for, for Peter Mullen, and I think he plays it. You know, that awkwardness, the 
he's he's great in not saying anything you can understand so much about that character when he's just like lurking in doorways where mm, all the other characters are, doesn't, doesn't are, are zooming past him and he's just standing by the stairs or something yeah his face just breaks my heart a lot of the time yeah i think with both him and her and mum i think there is a very much an attention to detail not just only how the character what the dialogue is but where the characters are standing and that placement of the characters and I think in him and her is where you know with Joe Wilkinson who doesn't really say a lot does he but mm-hmm. he's always sort of lingering and I think some of the stuff that we really liked about him and her has been perfected in a way in mum mm-hmm. and even I mean, we'll talk about it at length when Matt and I talk about it but even Lisa McGrills who you're introduced in that first episode she comes to Kathy's husband's funeral and she doesn't really know the family and you, she's just this ditzy girlfriend but later on you find out that her mum has always put her down and she sees Kathy as a sort of a new mum figure and there's more depth to her and so what might have been taken off as all this, just all these unlikable people together in a room has so much more depth to it and he rewards you for sticking with them for three years I just I just think it's the best comedy and she she mentions a kind of past relationship at one point doesn't she like Mm. a sort of almost abusive relationship and you and that kind of catches you off guard and makes you feel a bit more sympathy for her the action happens not in the scenes we're seeing you know it's people talking about things that have happened and i think the structure Mm -hmm. of the first two series of mum where it's different days from throughout the year and then obviously you've got this third series, which is, as you say, all set in one week. It's very interesting that we that they're talking about things that have happened. I suppose the most the the most prominent example I can think of is Michael turning up at the house after his mum's passed away, which is mm-hmm. like the episode that will sort of stick with me forever. Just that devastating look on his face. Yeah. And I remember Pauline helping. Uh... Derek's daughter to knit mm-hmm. and I remember thinking that is so not what that character would do but she's trying to bond with this young girl who's clearly out of her depth and wants to get to know her stepmother better and it's also Pauline as a character who's always trying to tell people how superior she is when de- when she's deep down deeply insecure as well so it's oh I can't wait to talk about <laughs> mum in the next episode <laughs> That is a fantastic list, and I'm so glad that I asked you to come on because those ten shows are are, are so personable. And it's funny how a comedy, which is its only objective is to make us laugh, can stick with us and become so personal. Mm. Because I wouldn't say that when I look at when I think about Mum, for example, I don't think about the bits that made me laugh, although there are a lot. It's what gets me in the heart and the and the lump in the throat and the the upset that I felt that I always remember and that's true of a lot of yours with Bojack and, and even mm-hmm. Frasier and Simpson. Because we did put this to people on the uh, Custard TV po- podcast Twitter feed and what their top 10 sitcoms are. Said I'll start with uh, Dan Owen because he was the first um, to reply uh, with the, in about an hour he had his list so some people oh, okay. obviously have done it 1 to 10, other people have done you know, just a standard list. Um, so he said Blackadder, Only Fools and Horses, Foxy Towers, uh, agrees with The Simpsons, Father Ted says The Office, not sure which one, Peep Show's in there, uh, One Foot in the Grave, Spaced and Community. The number one rerun podcast, 
say Faulty Towers, The Office, Friends, Kirby Enthusiasm, Only Fools and Horses, Gavin and Stacey, Father Ted, The Inbetweeners, Steptoe and Son, and Extras. Erin, who's written for the site recently, has said Friends, Gavin and Stacey, Parks and Rec, Extras, New Girl, This Country, Derry Girls, Car Share, The Office, and uh, Satellites Flats. Um, That's a solid and, list. Yeah, and she said Very most solid. of these are quite recent books. Uh, John Gallagher, um, friend of the show, says Peep Show, The Office US, uh, The Office UK, Arrested Development, Shits Creek, This Country, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Friends, and one that I'd completely forgotten but then was considering putting it on my list at one point, which is Summer Heights High. Um, and we'll do a couple more. Lee Ward says, without agonising and being sure I failed to remember some beloved shows, says Blackadder, The Simpsons, I'm Alan Partridge, League of Gentlemen, Only Fools and Horses, Space, The Office UK, Peep Show, Bottom and One Foot in the Grave. And finally on this one, we'll go for Gillian O'Rourke, who says Early Doors, Porridge, Mum, The Office, Ever Decreasing Circle, In Between, A Royal Family, Forty Towers, Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, which makes me ask, Gillian O'Rourke, is she your alter ego, Luke? <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> Uh, and Sophie, where can people find you online? You've already spoken about the S Club podcast, and people may have paused this to go and listen to that. But if they've come <laughs> back to this now, where can it, where can people find you online? So on Twitter, I'm at it's Sophie Davis, and Davis is spelled with I E S at the end. And yeah, I have two podcasts: it's an S Pod thing, and Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket, which is about the work <laughs> of Julia Davis. Great, and we'll be back soon to talk more comedies we couldn't live without. Take care. Bye. Comedy is subjective, but these are our favourites. Desert Island Comedies, from the team at thecustardtv.com. Follow at the Custard TV pod for more podcast content. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal.